Today's read, Midnight and the Meaning of Love by Sister Soldier, Chapter 16, Son, Father, Grandfather. Back at our apartment, after Uma was sleeping, I sat down on my bed thinking about my life while holding the new Sony Handycam that Amir and Chris had bought for me. It was the latest model, an HDR XR100. Studying the device, the buttons and attachments, I unfolded the user's manual and glanced it over. Akimi didn't like cameras too much, I believed. As an artist, her eyes and mind were her camera, and her gifted hands recreated the images that her eyes and mind saw through drawings and paintings. How do I feel about cameras, I wondered to myself. I had never relied on them, and neither had my father or grandfather. The images of my past in the Sudan were bright and colorful and powerfully clear, as though I could step right inside them and begin reliving every scene. But if I had known that there would be so many miles and meters between my father and grandfather and me, separated by continents, would I be happier if I had filmed them and could project them right onto the wall of my bedroom? Would Uma be happier if she could see my father on film when she was sitting all alone in her bedroom? Would Naja be happy if she could see a moving picture of our father instead of having to move her imaginings around in her head, full of the flaws of not really knowing or even having the pleasure of remembering. A smile stretched across my face naturally when I thought of my southern Sudanese grandfather. He wouldn't even give me the option of taking his photo or filming him. He was an expert at refusals. When he said no, he meant it. No negotiations or backpedaling. In fact, he only had one picture on the wall of his hut. It was of a European missionary man who, Southern Grandfather said, came from Europe, talking that Jesus talk, with his eyes on our women, and foot on our land, and hands all over the place. The missionary man's photo was posted right beside a few locks of his blonde hair and a rawhide strip with the missionary's teeth, fingers, and toes, and his dried-out lying tongue dangling in the middle like a flesh jerky pendant. My grandfather a respected elder and counsel in his village, husband of six wives and father of 19 children, my father, the youngest one, only wore his necklace, featuring the missionary's demise when he needed to remind ambitious villagers or intrusive outsiders of what he was capable of and how much influence he carried and 
how fearless he was in the face of the British or of the presumptuous Arabs or any pushy intruders for that matter. My southern Sudanese grandfather's voice was so deep he made the walls rattle and the snakes slide and escape deep into the ground. He never ate refrigerated or frozen foods, drank his milk straight from the udder. He never had ice cream or pizza or any modern food inventions, not because he couldn't, but strictly because he didn't want to. He was not a friend to change and believed that change and progress were two completely different words. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Although Uma's father and father's father and so on were all born and raised Muslim in the Islamic way of life, my southern Sudanese grandfather was slightly different. He said that Allah existed from the beginning of time, before Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and the revelation of the Holy Quran. He said that there was a time when man did not need a prophet to tell him and show him what to do. That was the time of real men, Southern Grandfather claimed. Then he would hold his hands up as evidence of his claim, as though his palms contained the story of the beginning of civilization. He would show the back of his hands first, and then the front. Both sides of his huge hands were black. Even his palms were black, and the lines in his palms even blacker. I am the original black man, not a photocopy. According to Southern Grandfather, man was born in the image of Allah with all that he needed already. These legs are for walking, he would say, showing his aged yet powerful legs that held him up to six feet, ten inches tall. The trouble begins when a man stops walking with these legs and begins riding around. So, Southern Grandfather never rode in a car or truck. Even when his closest relatives offered him rides, he refused, and that was the natural way of Southern Grandfather, who never traveled any further than his own legs would carry him and the difference between him and his 19th child, my father. 
My father was the only child of my grandfather who dared to race way ahead of his own father and accomplish things that his father could never imagine, not because his father was stupid, but simply because he didn't want to. My father bowed down to Allah and acknowledged the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. My father read and recited from the Quran and even led other men to do so. My father moved to northern Sudan, married Uma, a northern Sudanese woman, not of his region or tribe. I never repeated my father's philosophies and criticisms to Uma. I just held them in my mind and weighed them out word for word. Then I followed closely and with deep feeling and loyalty the path of my father. It was the easiest thing to do because my father admired southern grandfathers so incredibly and we visited the south of Sudan so often every year, every summer for the entire season. It seemed to me that my father and his father were separated only by small talking differences. I saw both of them bow down to the same and only God, Allah, while everyone everywhere hailed my father up as a great man, young, brilliant and influential, a well-educated and well-traveled advisor. My grandfather would say with sincere concern and certainty that each generation has become weaker rather than stronger. It is a son's job to be better than his father, not more dependent and more useless. When I would watch silently and listen closely, I couldn't imagine how I could possibly ever be a better man than my father or even my grandfather, especially now that I was living in America on this foreign land of foreign ways. I was certain that it was next to impossible. Still, I was doing my best passionately. Chapter 17 serious-minded. I began packing my duffel bag for my trip. I needed the space the duffel provided because I was bringing three brand new pairs of kicks and I wanted to leave them in the boxes they came in. Also, the Timberlands always took up more than enough space, yet I couldn't see traveling without crispy beef and broccolis. I would rock my clocks on the plane for comfort, so I didn't need to pack them. I folded my shirts exact like how they are displayed in the store. I made a separate pile for jeans and slacks and my workout clothes. My suit was hanging in my closet still in the suit bag that I purchased for travel. When I looked down, I saw Akimi's ostrich skin stilettos standing up straight as though her pretty feet were still in them. I wrapped them in tissue paper and laid them inside my duffel bag for some reason that I didn't know yet. Memories mushroomed to fantasies and fantasies dipped, slipped into sleep. I had one last conscious pill, conscious pull at resistance, but I gave in. A voice from the distance reminding me that I had to rise up early on this same morning. Thursday would be my last chance to finalize all the Uma Designs deliveries. Despite all the emotion and shock that had gripped my family this week, 
Puma had managed to complete three more orders, so of course, I would handle my business and get it to the customer and collect their final payments. Thursday, May 8th, 1986. Some hours later, I woke up. The prayer that normally came naturally like sunrise was a problem for me this morning. Even after the shower that shook me into consciousness, I couldn't concentrate. A thousand different thoughts and dilemmas raced around my head and danced through the words of my prayer and trampled the feeling in it. For some reason, I couldn't express myself spiritually at the moment. So I stopped speaking the words of the prayer and kept my head to the ground. Very slowly, the chaos of my mind began to settle. The loud thoughts and voices simmered until there was silence. I felt it would be better to be silent and still than to be half-hearted, half true, half false. Many minutes passed before I eased up into a straight stance. What's wrong with you? Naja gave me these words as her morning greeting. Nothing. Let's go. I walked her to Mrs. Marcy's and onto the bus. That's three days this week, she said, smiling. That means from now on, you have to walk me to the bus, even though Miss Marcy is here, okay? We'll see, I answered. Her little eyes followed me through each bus window until she reached her seat. She pressed her face against the window and smiled again. I nodded. I walked Miss Marcy back to her apartment on the ground floor. Once I heard her turn her locks, I opted to take the stairs up to avoid the morning rush and long wait for the elevator. In the gray lighting of the stairwell, I came up on a nigga named Lance. He had been locked up for molesting some little girl in my building a little over a year ago. Some lawmakers somehow must have made up a reason to let him out. In the Sudan, we would have cut off his hands first and then his head. Now I could see his chest and arms were swolled from the repetition of prison push-ups. He was coming down the stairs feeling like a man and casting a dark shadow that darkened an already dim space. No matter how swolled he got, to me, he would remain a mouse, a conqueror of young girls, the lowest form of life. His smirk was smug. If I was sleepy before, now I was fully alert. My clip was empty, but my mind was fully loaded. I looked him dead in his eyes to let him know I didn't need no prison to make my body hard and fists furious. I trained hard and stayed ready guns or no guns, I would send him back to meet his maker easily. I was going up, he was going down. We passed on the same step with only a centimeter separating our shoulders. As he passed, I felt a cold chill in a warm stairwell where there was already very little oxygen and the stench of piss as strong as bleach, as though the pisser had never had even one cup of water in his lifetime. 
Lance didn't say shit, not a grunt or a groan. Words were not necessary. Some men never understand words that are being spoken. They only react to actions being done. After opening all the locks that sealed the door of our apartment, I locked them behind me and went directly to Uma's room, knocking on her door. Nam, she said. Some of her latest designs were lying across her bed, others draped from hangers on her closet door. The tissue paper and boxes were out. Her incense was nearly finished burning. She was in the process of wrapping the completed and scented items for me to deliver. After that, pack your bag for your stay at the apartment we rented from the Ghazalis. Then pack Naja's also, I said solemnly. Her face changed from casual and pleasant to a knowing and willing obedience. Instead of asking me a hundred questions about why, she was packing two days before my plane left and before she was originally planning to move to the Ghazalis, she simply responded, I will. Since it was still very early morning, I called Sudana, hoping to catch her before she left for school. Sudana, I said, recognizing her voice immediately and knowing by now that she liked to be the one who answered their family phone calls. Salam, she answered. I need you to do me a favor, was all I said. Anything, she responded softly. Would you watch Naja for me today at 4.45 if I bring her by your house? Surely. I'll see you then, I told her. I'll be waiting. We hung up. I put three bullets in the clip before I hugged Uma and headed out to work with the Uma Designs delivery items. In the building lobby, I shot by Miss Marcy's apartment. Miss Marcy, I'll pick Naja up from her bus stop this afternoon, so you enjoy your day off. I handed her the pay for the week, plus her money for the upcoming week, since I plan to be away. Why so much, she asked, her face looking genuinely puzzled at the break in our usual routine. Is something wrong? Everything is good, Miss Marcy. Please don't worry. Naja will be visiting some relatives of ours for about a week to ten days. Relatives? Naja didn't mention none of this to me. She couldn't have. It's a surprise, I told her, placing my finger over my mouth to give Miss Marcy the impression that she was part of the secret. Naja will go to and from school from their home. I'm paying you because my mother loves you, and we want you to continue working with our family. Now, if I didn't pay you in advance and Naja just suddenly disappeared by the time she returned, you would have found another job, I joked and forced a smile. Yeah, right. Who else but your pretty mama is hiring an older lady? And I get to work at home? Not to mention, Naja is just so smart and curious and busy. She helps me stay young. And don't you try to charm me, young man, she laughed lightly. Miss Marcy, this stuff is heavy. I gotta run. Just relax until I contact you. I'll give you a heads up when Naja comes back, okay? Okay, honey, she said sweetly, her curiosity softening, now with a look of trust. I left after hearing her lock on her door, clicking shut.